Welcome to another episode of Bump, Birth and Beyond, uh, hosted by myself, Dr. Joseph Scroy, and proudly brought to you by Tiny Hearts Education. On today's episode, we're joined by the amazing Geordie Lucas, who is sharing her incredible birth story um, and the baby girl, Evie. Yes, thank you for having me. How awesome. How old's Evie now? Evie's just turned five months. Oh, cool. Yes. Have a love your eye. Absolutely. It's the most amazing love imaginable. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Often I've been asking all, all the mums that have come through here, you know, the, the, their pathway to, to becoming pregnant. Had you always wanted to be a mum? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've always um, been incredibly close with my parents and the relationship that I have, especially with my mum, is something that I always really wanted with my own child and Secretly, my own daughter. So I was, I was really Quite excited. Lovely. Yeah. But then again, little boys love it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I've definitely always been quite maternal, and yeah, very, very excited when, when I saw those two blue lines. Blue lines. Yeah. So you met your fiance. How, how long before meeting did you did you fortunately become pregnant with Evie then? Um, so we got together in around June 2017. Right. So, um, and then I fell pregnant last January. Oh, cool. Well, we found out that I was pregnant last January. And had you been trying for long? No. So um, I had actually been having quite a bit of trouble with my cycles right. the year beforehand. Um, I was having really long periods, but then also, um, blood tests were showing that I wasn't really ovulating. Right. Um, so we weren't being careful. Right. <laughs> and so were you trying to become pregnant? No, or? no, okay. no. Um, we weren't, you know, we'd, we'd spoken about having, having kids before and, yeah. and getting married and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, but we just thought it wasn't something that was going to happen for us at that point. Point. I had I was actually booked in for surgery to see if it was endometriosis that was right. causing all the bleeding. Yeah. Um, so it is lucky that I took the pregnancy test. Otherwise, Beforehand. I would have yeah gone ahead with the surgery. So. So you talk about endometriosis. Did you have any pain, or was it just the yeah? It was incredibly painful, right. long, long periods. I think the period when um, we were trying to work out how far along I was. Um, when I fell pregnant, everyone was saying, when was the first date of your last period? And I kept saying it was mid-October and I bled right. for, you know, six or eight weeks. So oh, it wasn't, it, really it was it was a really long time. So And was there anything on the ultrasound that had been suggestive of endometriosis? Or, no. So I was just really having, it was, and we're having pain, so pain and heavy periods. Yeah, yeah. And and um, yeah, it's quite fortunate then that you became pregnant. I know, I know. So it was when you're bleeding for that long. I know. I I we have no idea. Like obviously, we know how I got pregnant, but um, yeah, it's really incredible because we just thought it wasn't something that was going to happen for us at that at that time. And how long had you been on the pill prior to? Yeah, so April the year before, um, I came off all hormonal contraception. I'd yeah. had the Implanon. Right. Um, and I had been on the pill, different different forms of the pill since I was 16. Yeah. Um, so it might have, yeah. Pretty it much was, masked all the symptoms. Yeah. And one of the things about endometriosis is it can, of course, cause infertility and, and that's, you know, around about 30 to 40% of women who present with problems conceiving will have endometriosis. Mm. 
And often the only way of being able to diagnose it, and they may not have any pain or period type symptoms at all, yep. no heavy periods at all. The only way we can diagnose that is on a laparoscopy or KL yeah. surgery. But in your case, you had clearly identifiable symptoms of endometriosis. Yeah. And that would probably be masked by having the pill for such a long period of time. Yeah, yeah. So it will be very interesting when I get my period yeah. back. I haven't got it back yet. Are you yet. breastfeeding at the moment? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so I've I've heard that it can sort of, pregnancy can sort of fix endometriosis. Yeah, so what know. happens during pregnancy, it's a very pro-progesterone state. So mm. When women have endometriosis, basically what endometriosis is, I suppose, is where the lining of the womb, which is called the endometrium, those cells during a normal menstrual cycle will get nice and thick in preparation for a pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, I liken it to like grass growing on the surface of the MCG. So the lining of the womb, the grass grows. Then you end up having uh, like a little beach ball, which is like an embryo that nestles itself into the into the grass yeah, and that's the embryo, right? And, of course, if you become pregnant, the grass continues to grow and shelters that embryo and that embryo becomes a beautiful baby. Mm. But in the absence of pregnancy, obviously the grass sheds. When those cells, those endometrial cells, are located on the outside of the womb, they also then go under that same hormonal influence. Mm. So they get nice and thick, but, of course, they've got no opportunity to bleed really anyway. Yeah. So they bring in all these inflammatory cells that bring on the pain. Yeah. If you've got endometriosis or endometriosis or endometrial cells within the muscle of the uterus, that's called adenomyosis. Mm. And that can stop the the muscle of the uterus contracting. And therefore, if the muscle doesn't contract, the little blood vessels that are within the the wall of the uterus can continue to bleed. And that's why you get heavy periods. So you can still get pregnant when you have endometriosis. Yeah. But in someone who's having such long periods of time, when she's bleeding, mm. it's difficult for an embryo to try to embed there. So, yeah. I mean, it's fortunate and she's certainly a bit of a blessing. She is. Yeah. She's our little miracle baby. But with with pregnancy, your progesterone level is quite high and that stabilises the lining of the womb. So if anyone ever has any heavy bleeding, often their doctor may give them progesterone to support the lining yeah, of the womb so right. they don't bleed. Yeah. And, of course, in pregnancy, you've got this huge, this placenta that's producing a huge amount of progesterone, so it would dampen mm. down the endometriosis. When you're breastfeeding, you're breastfeeding at the moment. Yeah. 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 So that's, uh, you're in a state now where your body doesn't want to become pregnant, so it's not producing any estrogen. Your ovaries aren't ovulating. Yeah. And so the endometriosis is still quiet. Yeah. And you're 100% correct. Once you stop breastfeeding and your periods come back, then the endometriosis-type symptoms can go, come back. Yeah. And, it, and it would be worth, I suppose, speaking to your GP or a gynecologist at that point and saying, hey, listen, I want to prevent the endometriosis coming back because yeah. when you want to get pregnant again, you want to have everything sort of yeah. quiet. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Although, yeah, it is a very, it's an important topic. Yeah. Um, but we're here to talk about Evie. So, okay, so you found out, so it was a bit of a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. It was an amazing surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Incredible. Awesome. Yeah. And I suppose for someone who so visualised in her own mind, I know women visualise about what it's like to be married so they know mm. the dress and they know this and they know that. You, would you, did you have sort of any preconceptions about what pregnancy was all about before you became pregnant? Um, I thought I was going to be incredibly unwell for the first trimester. Um, I guess that's what I visualised. And beyond that, I didn't really 
know or have any expectations, but I was really lucky. I wasn't really that sick in my first trimester. I was really, really lucky. Um, yeah, I guess I, I, that was really the only preconception I had and it it wasn't right. (laughs) I was, I was really, really good. Yeah. I think a lot of, fortunately, I think now children, girls and boys in their teenage years are starting to learn about reproductive biology. So they have a little bit of understanding. I know my kids maybe because they're sons and daughters of an obstetrician gynecologist (laughs) sort of asked me a few questions, but they certainly know a lot more than what I did when yeah. I was a kid at school. Like I didn't even know what sex was. Really. Yeah. Did you have any? Did you have any sort of education prior to becoming pregnant about pregnancy? Did you understand what hormonal changes were? Not a whole lot. I mean, I I knew that um, that you sort of your body is going through obviously this massive massive change and. Um, you know, you, you need to really look after yourself and, and all that sort of stuff. But I didn't have a lot of knowledge of, of what goes on. So I really, I did really try and educate myself in that time of what was going on in each stage of my pregnancy and yeah. and what what I could do to sort of best prepare this little baby with, you know, whether it was taking, you know, um, pregnancy supplements or um, you know, exercises for labour or whatever. You know, I tried to educate myself as much as so I could. So where did that. you where did you get that information from? Like, I mean, obviously, fortunately, we live in an era of technology now, so people yeah. can gain access to stuff yeah. on the internet. But how? Where did you get that information? So um, I did shared care. Yep. Um, so I had an amazing GP that gave me a lot of information. Um, and it might be worth just telling our listeners the different types of. I might just. I don't think in any of the episodes we've talked about shared care. Mm. Or, but we obviously we all know about the public health care system yeah. and so the vast majority of patients will deliver their babies in the public care, mm. health care system and one option is to deliver them through the and, and see and have all your antenatal appointments in the public hospital. Yeah. The other option is that you can have shared care either with a midwife or alternatively with a general practitioner where parts of your appointments are with general practi- a general practitioner who mm. specialises in obstetrics yep. and or a midwife, obviously, and they will see you throughout your pregnancy and, and they also have some appointments at the public hospital, but then you'll go and have your baby in the public hospital and the public hospital, will, the public hospital doctors rather, will be there at the time of birth. Yep. And, of course, we're very familiar, well, most of us are reasonably familiar with the private healthcare system, which predominantly is... Um, where women see an obstetrician to the vast majority of their pregnancy, in fact, all of their yeah. pregnancy and also through childbirth. So you had a really good GP that was switched on. Yeah, she was fantastic. Um, Do you want to give a shout out? Yeah, to so Dr Linda Stiglitz at yeah. Early Women's Clinic. Oh, <laughs> she is amazing and Early Women's was really supportive as well throughout yeah. my whole pregnancy. Um, it was only towards the end when things sort of started to get a bit complicated um, that we had to drop the shared care then the yeah. hospital took over. Um, but, yeah, she was really sort of informative and, and right. you know, routine blood tests and things like that. She took care of all of that. And So tell really me, apart from, I mean, obviously she gave you a bit of information about pregnancy care, but you're there with, the, you know, with your caregiver for what, 20 minutes yeah. at the most. Yeah. Where, where else did you seek information from? So there's a really great app called What to Expect, yeah. um, which I found really really informative and really great. Um, I think there was another one called Pregnancy Plus um, and that they both kind of give you 
um, information of, of how your pregnancy is well should be progressing, yeah. um, things that you can expect at certain times, um, things to look out for that might suggest that, you know, something's maybe not quite right because pregnancies, you know, when you're first pregnant and you've never had a baby before, everything is so foreign and you don't know what's normal and what's not. So before you, you know, call the hospital or your doctor and say, well, you know, what's going on, it's kind of good to have an app that is, um, does have some authority. Sure. Um, I tried to stay away from Google as much Good. as I could. I, I yeah. know, you know, Dr. Google, everyone Googles things, yeah. but I really did try and stay away from that. I tried to keep to things that had a bit of authority. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I think I've done a, a, a little video presentation about Googling. I think mm. Googling in a way gives you a foundation to be able to ask questions from your caregiver and whether that be in obstetrics and gynaecology or whether that even be just in general medicine, yeah. a foundation, but don't take it as gospel. Mm. Um, and it is difficult to, and I think, you know, particularly when someone has a chronic illness and they're living through an illness, it's often, they often feel that they know and they do know exactly what's going on with it. Yeah. Um, and I suppose in part it's about sort of seeing or navigating your symptoms and having a look at Google and seeing what things match up. And there's no harm in, you know, suggesting stuff from yeah. it. But the worst thing is becoming anxious about it. Yeah. So, you know, fortunately for yourself you've got a, you had a good GP and, and, and patients in the private sector will have access to their obstetrician 24-7 and they can page them any, mm. any time, day or night. I must admit I had one patient. I mean, I'm on call 24-7, so yeah. my patients can call me any time if they're worried about something. But I had one lady who um, who paged me, I reckon it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. And uh, she said, well, that's, new, that's normal. I yeah. get paged all the time. <laughs> she paged me to go morning. She said, Dr. Joe, I have to tell you something. And I said, what? She said, I'm, I've, I'm in Bali. I said, oh, great. Is, is everything okay? She said, yeah, yeah. I just forgot to tell you before I left. <laughs> and in a way, I felt, I, felt bad. I felt bad that I had to get up to get that call. But I understand that she was probably sitting there stressing and not yeah. being able to sleep herself because she, she was over in Bali. But, you know, fortunately there's heaps of resources. And, mm. you know, whilst you might not be a private patient of an obstetrician, yeah. all of us, you know, my website included, you can jump on my website and type pregnancy. Yeah exercise and it'll come up with, you know, authorised yeah. information about yeah. pregnancy and exercise. So I think you can avail yourself utilising the internet from reputable yeah. sources. Yeah. What sort of things did you find surprising, even in that first trimester? So the thing, I had quite a lot of spotting yeah. throughout my whole pregnancy. Yeah. And I found it quite surprising how common that is. Yeah. And... Despite the amount of, um, you know, times that it happened and times that it, they made me come in and what's the... Speculum. Speculum. The yeah. amount of speculums I had throughout my pregnancy because yeah. they do check every time just to make sure. But I was really surprised that that can be really normal. Yeah. Um, so that really surprised me. Um, what else? I, w- I was surprised at how emotional I was. Yeah. <laughs> I was so emotional in my pregnancy. With your periods, did you get emo- no, emotional? No. No. Um, but just in that first part? Yeah. Oh, throughout my whole pregnancy, oh, I was extremely emotional. Yeah. Um, so that really surprised me. Um, yeah, but I think the, the, the spotting, I think, yeah. was um, probably not 
and when I would speak to people about it, so many women would say, oh, I had that too. So it's really common. common. It is very common. About 25% of women will have some bleeding during their pregnancy. And generally speaking, it comes from the cervix. So it's not actually coming. We obviously are worried that it's coming from around the baby, Mm. but the vast majority is it's coming from the cervix. Now, the cervix is a, 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 if you imagine the cervix is a bit like a skivvy. Yeah. On the outside of the skivvy and and towards the entrance of the vagina where the cervix comes into the vagina, it's got very tough cells. They're almost like skin cells, very Mm. hard, right? And they can withstand the the acidic environment of the vagina because the vagina's got a pH that's quite acidic. The inside of the cervix, which is like the inside of a skivvy, has very glandular-like type tissue, a bit Mm. like the inside of your mouth. And you can imagine if you pour acid on the inside of your mouth, it's going to burn it a bit. Yeah. So with pregnancy comes a huge amount of blood vessels that yeah. come in towards the uterus and obviously it also comes in towards the cervix. And some of those cells that are on the inside of the womb, the, 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 the cervix sort of unravels a little bit. Mm. Let's imagine like grabbing the, the inside of the cervix and just wrapping it around a little bit as you're sort of trying to get it over your head, so to speak. So those insider cells then become exposed to the acidic environment of the vagina and they bleed. They become yeah. a little bit friable and they bleed. So it's very common. There are some studies, and I must admit, you know, I deal with patients who in some cases have had lengthy journeys to pregnancy and particularly yeah. in the setting of IVF. Yeah. And there are some women who will have bleeding early on in pregnancy and there are some studies to suggest that that may be as a result of a, a little bit of deficiency in progesterone. So often, oh, okay. often patients will be just prescribed pessaries or vaginal inserts that they yep. put inside their vagina and that gives them a little bit of a progesterone boost and often that dampens down mm. the, uh, the bleeding. But you did the right thing and every single time you have a bleed, yeah. you've got to tell people yeah, just to double-check the cervix. Mm. And I'll often also do an ultrasound scan to see that the cervical length is normal as well. Yeah. So that was worrying, presumably. Yeah, it was really, um, it was tough. Yeah. Every time I went to the toilet, I'd be worried. How many, to- how many, how many times? Mm. During- was it all just the first trimester? Or- no, towards the end as well. Oh, towards the end um, as well. I think we, yeah, the first trimester, maybe two, two or three times. Yeah. And then towards the end, um, I think we went in maybe three or four times. So did you go and see your GP or were you going into the hospital as well? Um, we Towards the end, once, once I was taken off shared care, yeah. um, we had to hospital. go straight to the hospital. Yeah. So, but before um, that it was all. Really yeah, fun. or the GP. Um, and, again, she was really um, thorough as well oh, and yeah. would order ultrasounds and, yeah. and things like that to check. That everything was okay, but yeah, lots of lots of speculums and mm. um, t- towards the end as well because they think towards the end they think you might be in labour. Correct. Where, um, so I think we'd been in a birthing suite three or four times <laughs> before oh. I even yeah. gave birth to Evie. But um, yeah. yeah, you do. You just check, and your stomach does drop when you look down and you you see that there's blood there, but. Most it was anxiety probably. Yeah. I mean, just to reassure people out there, I mean, you definitely need to tell your doctor or the hospital that mm. you're at. But um, I do remember a woman who had bleeding on the weekend and it was a Sunday, I vividly remember, and she was walking up towards my, my rooms and she had, I, I kid you not, like a drink bottle, half a drink bottle full of blood because she wanted oh to show God. me how much it was. And <gasps> so she compl- she was about... I think she would have been around about 10 weeks pregnant and without a doubt in her mind she thought she'd lost the baby. 
but we did a scan and everything was fine. So it yeah. just shows you, you know, yes, have an element of panic because yeah. it's different, but it's not always going to be about, yeah. So did you end up doing Down syndrome screening? Did you do screening for the Downs? Did yep. you find out the sex of the baby? Yes. Because she was a surprise, yeah. I didn't want. We didn't want any more surprises after yeah, that. We were it. just like, let's find out. And you were so you'd, you'd so wanted to have a little girl. Did you find out yeah. the gender? Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it was. Yeah, I, I clearly remember she called me. I was driving to my parents' house, yeah. and obviously the first thing is that everything had come back normal. Yes. Um, and then she said, do you want to know the sex? And yeah. I'd pulled over and she said it was a girl. Of, no, she said female. Yeah. And I started crying and, you know, I was yeah. so happy. And then I called back and I was like, I did hear female correctly, didn't I? It is a girl. And she was like, no, yes, it's a girl. <laughs> Actually, I've um, started to not tell patients specifically the sex of the baby because yeah, right. you hear what you want to hear. Yeah. Because she, she could have said male and you would have heard female. I know. And then just be, okay, it's definitely a girl. So we now say, look, we're not going to tell you the gender. Are you happy for us to send it to you as an email? Yeah. And you can open it up and then you can actually read it. Because yeah. there actually has been another obstetrician of mine, a colleague of mine, who told the would have told the, the parents exactly what the sex yeah. was, but they'd obviously heard what they wanted to hear. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know. Oh, it's not what we want. So at, we at birth, yeah, birth. Oh, my God. Yeah, because, I mean, we tell we tell people at 10 weeks, we don't then talk about it really. Oh, really? Up, so, yeah. like, at scans and stuff, you weren't saying, oh, well, he's, he's Yeah, or... maybe at 20 weeks they, oh they probably could have asked again. But sometimes we, often yeah. when I'm doing a scan and my I scan my patients at every visit, but often yeah. I'll, you know, I'll, it's almost subconscious you just don't, don't say, say he or she. Yeah. Right? Because you just, I can't remember who I have told their sex of the baby and who I've not, unless yeah. they say, how's she going or how's he yeah. going. Yeah, yeah. So you sort oh, of. wow. Yeah, so these, these patients found out. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, but there you go. It's a bit of a surprise. <laughs> um, did you do a big gender reveal? No. 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 We just, um, yeah, just, just told, told people. How did you tell people? Were they surprised? Um, I don't, I think. Maybe they they were they, I guess probably yeah they were. Yeah. Um, because you've been together for a while. We've been year. together, you know, almost two years. Oh, two years. Um, but I suppose people, you know, traditionally people get married first and then yeah. they have their baby. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think people were surprised. But then a lot of people were like, "Oh, we always knew that you would want to be a mum and yeah. and all that sort of stuff." So it wasn't really. I think it just the timing maybe was a surprise, but not actually that we were having. Did you have many friends around you who were pregnant or who are pregnant? Um, so it was quite funny. A girlfriend of mine, um, I mess- I had texted her and, and said, I'm really sorry I've been sort of MIA but this is why and I sent her a, a photo of my scan and she was like, oh, my God, and she sent me a photo of her scan as well and we'd, we'd both been like 10, 10 days apart oh, from wow. each other. So that was really nice to have yeah. someone that was, you know, at the same point. Yeah. As me. Someone to chat with. Yeah. Um, do you catch up now? Did you yeah, we do. Yeah. So her baby was born just after, after Evie. A baby so boy or baby girl? Baby boy. Oh, yeah. Keep them separate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So and then I've got, I've got a, girl, a couple of other girlfriends that have had babies, but in my sort of group of, of school friends, I'm the first yeah. to have to have one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you. So you, you're going to be asked a lot of questions. Yeah. I think so. Over the course of the I next couple so, of years. Yeah. Not only are you going to get all the pregnancy questions, then you're going to go, 
all the clothes all the back, questions, yeah. what cot to get, yeah. what, what pram to get. Yes, all the breastfeeding, all that sort of yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. by the way, don't I, just for people out there, I reckon now we've had three children ourselves, my wife and I, and we ended up getting like a big proper pram. Yeah. Which to be honest is functional and useful. But I tell you what, those the either the little bugaboo fold out fold up one another, yeah. they call that, or the yo yo. Yeah. They are awesome. Yeah. Like that's all you need. Yeah. I think you overcomplicate it, don't Definitely. you? Definitely. And yeah. I think particularly for the first, you think, oh, we need this, we need that, we need this, we need this and that. And by the time you walk out of, you know, baby bunting or wherever mm. you're going to, it's like you've just spent a hell thousands. of a lot of money, thousands yeah. of dollars buying a lot of stuff that you just won't use and yeah. you certainly won't use for the second baby. Yeah. So you had certainly in the first part of the pregnancy obviously a little bit of stress, particularly yes. with the bleeding, but fortunately everything sort of had settled down, I imagine, yep. by you got time to by 12 weeks. Yeah. So and then my second trimester was probably the easiest. Yeah. Um, and then so the third trimester um, was a little bit difficult. She She was a big always measuring on the bigger side. Right. Um, Is your partner big? He's he's tall, yeah. but he's, um, I think we were both big babies actually. Right. Um, and had your mum had a vaginal birth? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she was measuring quite big, which obviously meant I was quite big and quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but then after one of the the um the bleeding episodes I had a, an ultrasound and they were quite concerned about the fluid around Evie. So so just to take us back a little bit, the twelve week ultrasound scan was perfect. Yeah. Where you do the twenty week scan where it was it's, perfect. Uh, where they look specifically at the heart, the lungs, the liver, mm. the kidney, everything looked perfect. Yeah. When was this bleed that you had? So it was about twenty seven weeks. Right. Was and, was and, the next And how much one. did you bleed? Um quite a bit. Right. Yeah. What do you mean by a bit? Well like, a, know, a pad. A pad, so yeah. significant. Yeah. So the things, you know, in terms of an, an obstetrician or that your caregiver's concerns are, number one, if you're bleeding, there is a small risk of going into labour earlier. Mm. So had they given you any uh, injections in, in order to help mature baby's lungs at that point? No, not at that point. Right, um, okay. So they, they did the speculum and, and, what they and see then? everything was long and closed. They and didn't see any blood there? No. Okay, so that's um, probably why they didn't give you any steroids yeah. And uh, and that's one thing that we're concerned about. The other thing we sometimes get concerned about is the way the placenta's working yeah. and whether the placenta potentially has come off the side wall of the uterus and started to bleed. Mm. So presumably that was okay. But was it at that scan they noticed the fluid being a little bit low? Yeah, uh, no, high. High, okay, yeah. a bit high. Um, uh, yeah, so then we got called back to sort of they wanted to do another scan another two weeks later to sort yeah. of monitor that. Yeah. Um, and it was. What did they tell you? Why did they? What was their thinking? Why was the fluid high? What, what did they say to you? Um, oh, to be truthful, I can't. I can't remember a lot of what they said. It was also. Um, it was all very confusing, to right. be honest. Um, so they often, said sometimes bigger babies have more fluid. Yeah. So I think the first thing to say is that the fluid around babies actually the baby's wee. Mm, yeah. So the baby. You know, fortunately, um, if you've got a really good and healthy placenta, the baby's kidneys get a lot of blood flow and then the kidneys will then subsequently work to filter that blood and as a result, but the baby wheeze. Yeah. There are many reasons why the fluid can be bigger. Sometimes it can be just because. It can mm. be because it's a big baby. can be because you've got gestational diabetes, so the baby's sugar yeah. load is high and so the baby will wee more. 
And sometimes it can be related to some structural abnormalities of the baby or sometimes some neurological impairment mm. of the baby. There's a whole range of reasons. Yeah. Um, but more often than not, particularly if you've had a normal ultrasound scan and if you've had a sugar test that it's uh, normal, yeah. and I presume they did that. Did they do it more than once? Now that you've said this, they did keep asking me if I yeah. had gestational diabetes yeah. because of her size and because of the fluid yeah, levels. Yeah, now that I've just remembered, yeah, they did keep asking. And, do, and do, how many times did you get tested for gestational diabetes? Just the once. Just the once? Yeah. Uh, I mean, she was a big baby all the way through? Yeah, especially towards the end. She was consistently 97th yeah. percentile. So... Every obstetrician and every midwife will be a little bit different. In fact, yeah. every GP will be different. But often you can pass the sugar drink test at 26 to 28 weeks. Mm. Um, and then if you repeat it again a little bit later, you, you actually do have it. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh, the, okay. So that's gestational interesting. Gestational diabetes is nothing. I mean, a lot of people get anxious when they get gestational diabetes. And I suppose the thing about gestational diabetes is it's better to know than not know. Yeah. Because the whole idea of the reason why we treat gestational diabetes is several reasons. Number one is to make sure that you're okay. Mm. Um, but number two is to make sure that the baby's okay as well. So the baby doesn't get too big or the baby doesn't get too small. Um, and also it predetermines also what we may do with the baby afterwards. So babies with gestational diabetes sometimes have an increased chance of having wet lung. Mm. So we need to be monitoring that or jaundice. So we need to be monitoring that. So it heightens us. The other thing about gestational diabetes is that it also, if a baby has an environment where they're living in the uterus that's got a high sugar content, mm. that actually can switch on genes within the baby that predisposes that child to later on in life when they're an adult to have diabetes and yeah, right. cardiovascular disease. So hence why we really want to control diabetes. Yeah. Now, the placenta produces hormones that antagonise, which means they block the effect of insulin. So it's not actually you having diabetes. Yeah. It's a pregnancy, yeah? So a lot of people go, oh, I've got diabetes, how bad? You know, but in actual fact, it's nicer to know because you know how to protect the baby, not yeah. only in utero but also when they're beyond. Yeah. beyond. Um, and it's nothing to do with you, it's just the placenta. So often in my own practice, if a woman has a 26 to 28-week gestational diabetes screen that comes back negative, I will often repeat that again at 32 weeks and sometimes yeah, right. later, if particularly if the baby's still big. Yeah. Um, but they didn't do that. And they were obviously, that in, in their mind, probably not overly concerned mm. by that. But what? how many scans then did you have? Because, I mean, obviously now yeah, know, so worried I, about the fluid. Yeah, so they were worried about the fluid. I think I had a few more after that. And then but to, this is just where the towards the end, everything just sort of piled on. Of course. Um, with the, the extra fluid, it meant that um, I couldn't feel as much of Evie's movements, yes. um, which is obviously one of the things that they say come in for if you if you have decreased fetal movement. Um, and so one of the times that I went in, they noticed that my heart rate was really high. Mm. My resting heart rate was up to 160 yeah. at one point. Um, and they, they had me hooked up and they had Evie hooked up and they couldn't actually tell the difference between mine and her heart rate. Were you unwell at all? No. No, he just had a higher heart So they admitted me then. Yeah. Um, I spent the night in a birthing suite. Yeah. Um, and it was really scary as well because then Evie's heart rate went high throughout the night. How many weeks were you at this point? I was 34 weeks. Okay. Um, so I had to stay in um, yeah. and, yeah, really, really high heart rate. Um, 
a bit of high blood pressure as well. So they For were yourself. yeah. So they were concerned about preeclampsia and things yeah. like that. Um, you were obviously anxious at the time. Yeah, incredibly anxious. Yeah. yeah. So the your heart rate being high. I mean, obviously in pregnancy, to a certain degree, your heart rate does increase because there's increased blood volume. Mm. Possibly also coupled with a bit of anxiety. Did the heart yeah. rate settle? Um, your heart it, rate. It kept on sort of settling, but then even if I was laying down, yeah, it would go up, spike again. And what about Evie's heart rate? Was it just very high all the time? She didn't have any dips in her heart rate. No, it was just high. Right. Um, she didn't have any dips, and they were more concerned about me than they were her. Uh, right. Um, so what did they? What did they? What did they boil it down to? This high. So heart they. Rate? S- they said pregnancy-induced tachycardia. Yeah. Um, and they sort of sent me home and said, try and relax and, and everything. But I kept getting these sort of um, waves of feeling incredibly out of breath, faint. Yeah. I would go red in the face. Did they do a little bit of an, an electrical trace of your heart? Yeah. So and then the next time I went back, yes. they did that. Yeah. Um, because, again, my heart rate was incredibly high. Yeah. Uh, again, um, and they were concerned more f- about me than they were about Evie. Yeah. They did a um, the dye, um, the dye test where they inject me with dye. And, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, um, because there was something really on worried. my trace yeah. that was concerning them. Yeah. Um, and then I stayed in again. So was there anything in the end? That was a bit, did they didn't no, they that? were yeah they were checking for a clot right. that they thought they thought that I might have a clot. Right. Um, from the trace that I had. Right. Which came back nothing, fine. 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 Um, but it was at that point that they said, we think it's best that you have a caesarean. Right. Um, at 38 weeks because of Evie's size. Yeah. And the way my body was coping, coping my blood pressure was starting to just get worse and worse. Yeah. And it was at that point, I was admitted that night and then the next day some doctors came around and said, we think this is best. Hey guys, Nikki here, co-founder at Tiny Hearts Education. At Tiny Hearts, our mission is to bring education to all Australian parents through first aid and birthing courses so you can move through pregnancy, childbirth and parenthood with confidence. To come along to one of our courses, head to tinyheartseducation.com and use the code PODCAST10 to get $10 off any course booking. That's all from me. Let's get back to Joe and today's story. So tell me, just in, in, upon reflection, because you'd always wanted to be a mum, yet mm. probably it, really in terms of understanding a pregnancy, you started to educate yourself when you're pregnant. Had yeah. you had any thoughts about birth prior to, I mean, prior to prior to this 30, 27 week time, yeah. had you had a thought about how you wanted to have your baby? Um, in my head the whole time, I thought whatever's safest. Yeah. I just wanted to, I just want whatever's safest. But I think I did, I obviously wanted, always wanted to give it a go. Yeah. Um, so there was a little bit of, of kind of, dis- I don't want to say disappointment yeah. because when they said that it was the safest option for both of us, I there was no question. Yeah. I, I trusted the doctors and I, if that was what they said was safest, then that was what we were going to do, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think I, 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 I think that's exactly probably the best way of approaching things. I think 
you know, one of the one of the thinking in my own mind is that we raise so many expectations about childbirth, mm. and if you've got those expectations about what you think is idealism, if it doesn't meet yeah. that standard in your own mind, then you feel like you failed. Yeah, and I think you know, actually going through a pregnancy and then mm. being a mother is a yeah. true test. Yeah, you know, the birth itself, you know. My mantra is, you know, every woman's birth experience is unique to her and no woman should be judged for that yeah. birth experience. And I think part of that whole birth experience is you are going to be guided by people around you and it may be mm. friends, family, but it also may be your doctors and midwives and other healthcare providers. And you do need to trust them in the context yeah. of particularly what was happening with you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I shared a lot of my pregnancy on Instagram and I had women messaging me saying you don't know what your body's capable of you can you can do a natural birth and I just thought I feel like there's there's a real I don't know if obnoxious is the right word but people who think that they know better than a doctor yeah <laughs> like I why would I sit there and say I know better than these doctors I'm still gonna I think I mean in fairness I think people are trying to empower yeah totally it's a, it's a, it's a total yeah. area of an empowerment but you're right to a certain degree but in saying that I felt like they were still kind of saying that I shouldn't have the cesarean yes and I think that's the difficult. and I don't think there's any shame in having a cesarean I think that's the difficult I think the thing about it is you know if you've got if you're about to have a heart attack mm. right and the doctor says to you we need to operate to save your life yeah. you're going to go please yeah. do whatever you can yeah the the mystery of birth, I suppose, it had, you know, it's interesting. You know, women will have been involved in many births. I've said this mm. before, prior to having their own birth, and now that mystery has gone away. Yeah. And so, I think what happens, particularly on social media, is this community of women that yeah. feel that they can, they want to stick, they want to do what women did three hundred years ago. Yeah. Which is empower Real, other women yeah. to help. Right. Yeah. Without now knowing the specifics of in someone's individual case. Mm. So whereas 300 years ago, of course, there wasn't modern medicine and, of course, they were guiding the woman yeah. through their childbirth and everyone was sitting there going, come on, you can do it, you can yeah. do it. There's an instinct there, isn't it? Yeah. Women have an instinct to want the, that to happen to, to another yeah. woman, yeah? But in your setting where you're concerned about something to do with your heart, the blood yeah. pressure, the size of the baby... Yeah, and, and, and notwithstanding the size because I don't think the size is necessarily a reason yeah. for the seizure yeah, in the first yeah. place, but there was enough that they were worried about, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, and it just, it was it, all the pieces of the puzzle um, and, you know, came together and they just said, we think that it's it's best. So on social media you were posting this in real time? Yeah. So, so um, did you company... Yeah. Not flack's not the right word. Not but. flack, but, um, you know, you, you could still give it a go. Um, again, people co focusing on the size of, of Evie saying, I've delivered a big baby, yeah. you know, but that wasn't all that was going on. It was my it was health as well. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so not not flack, but, but people saying, you know, you can still do it and, I guess what it was inadvertently making me feel a bit crap because that was, you know, it, I think that there's this this idea that cesareans are the easy way out and it's cesarean is not an easy yeah. thing. It's you're being cut open and 
um, you know, it's it's an incredibly invasive major surgery. Quite without um, that. And, I, and I, yeah, I think it's a, it's an important point you make. Actually, on my Instagram yesterday, I posted a post about you know of all the women I, I deliver around or well, catch. I like to say catch, not <laughs> deliver, but I catch around two hundred fifty babies a year. And yeah. some of those will be elective seizures. Yeah. And they may be done for a variety of reasons, but I suppose in my practice a lot of women are older, so more yep. than 40. A lot of them will have gone through IVF, donor yep. eggs, um, may have chronic medical issues themselves mm. such as heart problems or lung problems, and they'll choose to have an, an elective seizure. Or alternatively, I may guide them to having elective seizure because yep. it's in their best interest. Yeah. Um, but for those women who ha- wish to have a vaginal birth, Around 85.1, 85, when I say 84.9% will have a vaginal birth and there'll be a 15% emergency cesarean section. Mm. So I posted that yesterday and even I copped a little bit of, well, okay, that's great, but how many patients have you said that they should have an elective Caesar when they didn't need one? Yeah. And I think that's not the, and 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 to be honest, I think being a good doctor and a good midwife and a good GP, whatever the case might be, is not pushing an agenda. Yeah. It's about presenting a, and I think you were correctly, you were presented with what's happening. This is the story. Mm. And I think being a good practitioner is about providing options and allowing allowing you to see why we're thinking this way. I think gone are the days where... And this is true in every form of medicine, I think, mm. but more so in our in, in our specialty. I think gone are the days where the doctor would say, oh, "We're doing this, yeah, you know, get yeah. out of my room." And so yeah. but whereas now it's very much you're involved in, as a patient in the yeah. decision process. Yeah, and I, that's what it was. They came in and and they said, you know, this is why we think this. This is, and once they said that that was going to be the safest option. There wasn't a question in my mind. If that was what was going to be safest for my baby and for myself, you were happy. With it that. was so. Walk no us question. through what happened. Walk us through what happened in terms of the the Caesar. So, so you were admitted to hospital the night before, presumably. No, it was the morning. Oh, the, the morning, morning of. Oh. So, so I left hospital. It was a Thursday, and they they said, "Okay, we'll contact you with a with a time." Yes. And they said, okay, come, we got a call, come in on Tuesday morning yeah. um, at six o'clock. So Henry, my fiance, and I were there at six o'clock in the morning. And yeah. Anxious. Did you tell everyone? Uh, um, we didn't. I didn't tell people. I told people that I was having the baby that week, but right. I didn't give specifics. The specifics. We told Instagram. They could have all been there. Yeah, I know. You had I just, all your followers rocking did, <laughs> up in front of the hospital. I didn't. I also didn't want. You know, obviously it's really nice that everyone was concerned and everything, but I just, I didn't want people messaging and being yes, like, yeah, you know, so. And I think that's a yeah. good thing. I, mean, I, you know, I, I think some people tell everybody that they're in labour and then you go to the waiting room and it's just yeah. teeming full of people. So yeah. I think sometimes it's nice and also it's nice, I think, for you as a couple to have some quiet time with the bubble yeah. before you start telling people. As yeah, well. yeah. So just yeah, so you obviously admitted the day before, and and what we what were the thoughts going on through your mind? I mean, you're getting about to be a mum, yeah, dream, just incredibly nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I was so nervous that it was such a surreal moment, just like actually walking into the the theatre, knowing that I was about to, you know, be sliced open and, and have this baby. It was it was such a I, I, Surreal. It sounds bad, slice. But I like to say <laughs> precision incision. Okay, precision incision. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just a really surreal. I've 
never been so nervous yeah. but also so excited because yeah. you've spent nine months so excited to have this baby. Of course. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then for them, for the team of, of you know, doctors and, and nurses in there, for them it was we were just another uh, another couple that were coming in. They were so relaxed and mm. we were sitting there like, oh, my God, this is, you know, crazy. But they were really lovely and calming and mm. So it's um, interesting you say that because I, I'm actually a public consultant as well at the women's. Yeah. I, I was on call at the women's a couple of nights ago. And I think, you know, I think when you're having an elective Caesar, and, and I must say this to people, there's, there is, the elective Caesar is very calm, sedate oh, and everything. Yeah. But sometimes what happens in, a, in, a, in an emergency situation, particularly in the public sector where people don't know you, mm. and so it's different when you've got your own private obstetrician because and or, and or midwife for that matter, because they know you and they will, you've got this person you've developed this rapport with for nine months and they're yeah. supporting you. But so I walked in on um, at about two o'clock in the morning at the women's, and this uh, young Indian lady was about to give birth uh, via Caesar. So yeah, the baby was a bit bit distressed, but not overly distressed, and the baby's head just wasn't coming out vaginally, yeah. and she would you could just see she was terrified. Oh. And the first thing I did was I didn't actually go down the bottom end and try to examine her and see yeah. if we can deliver the baby vaginally. I actually went up to her and I held her hand and I said, I know you are really scared. Yeah. But your baby's safe and you'll yeah. be a mum very soon. And I oh. spent like a minute and a half, two minutes with her before yeah. I went down because I think it all, all you're hearing is ding, ding, yeah. ding, the, the, you know, the anaesthetic machine going off and the yeah. blood pressure, pressure cuff going on in your yeah. arm and, you know, you've just had a spinal anaesthetic in and yeah. it can be real. It's a, you know, I think sometimes as doctors and midwives and the, the other staff, the anaesthetist and the mm. anaesthetic nurse, we do this all the time. For us, it's the it's, norm. Yeah. Know? But for you guys, it's not. So it's really nice that they gave you a positive experience because yeah. I think, and I think that's one thing to say, I think Caesars do get a bad rap. And they're often given a bad rap in part because of the emergency type situations which yeah. happen all of a sudden and it just feels like it's chaotic. Yeah. 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 The, I had the most amazing experience. Um, it was calm um, and I, I have nothing but amazing things to say oh, about my nice. birth. That's I awesome. Yeah, I had such an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, there was a bit when when Evie came first came out, she took a bit to breathe. to breathe and come yeah. to, but we were warned that that might happen. Yeah, um, and they were all really calm and and really sort of. I had a, one of the doctors come up to me and say, you know, she's fine. This happens quite a lot. We've yeah. we're just you know, and so it was just I felt so safe. Had they given you steroids at that point? And they did, they no, did. because I think I because I was thirty eight weeks, mm. they didn't. Maybe that. Oh, I don't know. There it's is, such there, a blur. There, there is there's <laughs> a new. There is a college guideline in in um, to the Royal Australian New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists guideline on cesarean section. So women who have a, are having cesarean sections for elective reasons, we yep. tend to delay the caesar until thirty nine weeks. Yeah, and the reason for that is because we find that women, are babies rather have a higher incidence of this, what you just described with yeah. Evie, where they have transient tachypnea of the newborn, which basically means they, their lungs are a little bit wet when they come out. Yeah. 
If you do a caesarean section at 37 weeks, mm. the chance of that occurring is around 11%. Yeah. If you have a vaginal birth, it's 5%. Yeah. If you have a caesar at 38 weeks, it drops a little bit. Yeah. But it's still not 5%. Yeah. And by 39 weeks, it's equal. It's yeah. 5%. So sometimes, and, and for people out there who are having caesars earlier for medical reasons, because there are reasons mm. why we say yeah. Some obstetricians will give a course of steroids to help mature yeah, the baby's right. lungs yeah. so that when they come out, they don't suffer the little transient tachypnea, which may sometimes yeah. mean they need to go to the nursery for a bit. Yeah. What was Henry's uh, overwhelming feeling then? Because he, you know, he's gone through this journey with you as well. Yeah. He, um, I think he, we were both in shock when she came yeah. out and they sort of lifted her up over the curtain and it was we were both in shock. But he... He went over um, and watched them sort of work on her and then yeah. they said, you can come and cut the cord. Yeah. And he came back over to me and just said, she's perfect. Yeah. And um, so then I got to hold her a little bit and then he was really excited. He got to um, go back while I sort of got um, stitched up, I guess. <laughs> stitch up. He, um, he got some skin on skin with her. Yeah, nice. Um, was he born got- to be a dad? I don't think he knew he knew, but I think he was. Yeah. He's the most beautiful um dad. He's so um he's just amazing with her and yeah. it makes you, me love him even more yeah, watching oh, him lovely. with her. Yeah, it's amazing. it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a big change from generations of fathers before, you know, where mm. I think the golf clubs hate it because no one's going out to play golf <laughs> yeah. anymore because they're spending time with their kids. But I think you know, my dad would not have changed the nappy. I mean, yeah. I'm, pro- yeah. I'm probably lying, but, he, he, you know, I doubt he <laughs> yeah. would have changed one or two nappies. Certainly yeah. when my younger sister was born, I never recall him doing so. Yeah. Whereas I think now guys are a lot more mm. connected with the whole process. Yeah, and hands-on as well. Like he was, even from the beginning, Henry said, you know, how can I help? I feel like I could, I need to be doing more because obviously with me breastfeeding, it was me up with Evie yeah. the whole time. So he was excited when I was when I started pumping and yeah. I would go to bed for a few hours and he would stay up with Evie and give her a bottle and, and I have a funny story about that. When I was a, a trainee at Box Hill, I yeah. did some of my residency at Box Hill Hospital and I remember one of the midwives coming out and saying to me that, you know, she just had this conversation with this husband who was so delightful yeah. and so wanted to help his wife. Yeah. And the the milk wasn't coming in. Yeah, and okay. He, he said to the midwife, look, her milk's not coming in. Do you think if I if I suckle a little bit? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it, might, it might help. <laughs> wow. <laughs> when you encounter that story, it's like, that is a guy with dedication. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Henry didn't oh think that. It was like that. I really don't think Henry was that committed. <laughs> oh, it was always quite funny, but unfortunately Henry was, he was well on the, went all it was. Imagine walking in and seeing that happen. <laughs> oh, my God. I just thought that is just uh, so, I mean, it's obviously not really knowing, but really unbelievably That's so caring. sweet, yeah, though, that he is. was prepared to do that. <laughs> um so, I mean, obviously, well, the decision between, you know, the, you'd had a, you'd had a big bubba, your heart rate's yeah. going up, Evie's heart rate's going up, a decision to have a cesarean section. Was there much time to prepare yourself mentally for what was to be expected after the birth? Um, not not a whole lot. So, we, yeah, we found out on the Thursday and we were in on the Tuesday. So, 
Um, that weekend I was, you know. Just chomping at a bit. Yeah, really, really nervous. Yeah. Um, I have an auntie that's a midwife, so she oh, okay. was she nice was lovely. fantastic. Yeah. Um, in sort of um, sort of preparing me a little bit for what yeah. for what might happen and and the She's recovery still and stuff. Yeah, where yeah. Does she, work? she works uh, at Epworth down in Geelong. Oh, down in Geelong. Yeah, Epworth. yeah. Um, nice, nice. So and she was really helpful as well with the yeah. breastfeeding and oh, all great. that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so she gave me a little bit of insight as to what might happen um but just really emphasized the rest and um you know accept all the help that you can accept the pain relief when they give it to you and all that kind of stuff um so how long do you how long were you in hospital for only two nights yeah it's i mean it is you know it's interesting the public sector Mm. you know the, 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 the 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 hospitals when they were first created the public hospitals like the women's hospitals it used to be called a lion hospital because women would come from mm. you know melbourne obviously back then you didn't have public transport you didn't have cars and so women would actually come as they were coming close towards giving birth to hospital to stay there to give yeah. birth yeah and you used to stay in hospital after birth for a long period of yeah. time, which gave you an opportunity to adjust not only to being a mother but also to being, you know, to all the, the rigours of looking after a baby. Yeah. But things have dramatically changed yeah. with more, uh, more pressures on, particularly on the public sector, that, yeah, you're out, particularly if you've mm. had a C. I think it's a little bit harder having a season. I mean, a lot of women who've had a vaginal birth probably, you know, if they're Baby's born today, they're home tomorrow. Yep. One could argue for some women that's relatively easy to do. But even for that, the first time yeah. home, it's hard. Yeah. Did you oh. find it hard when you got home? Yeah. So they they gave I – was, I was told initially that I was going to be in for a minimum of three nights. Yeah. But then after two, um, we were both doing really well and okay. they gave us the option. Okay. Um, and uh, the night staff weren't overly helpful. Yeah. So – I felt that I would probably get more support at home. Who was going to be at home with you? Henry, okay. my my fiance. Oh, he, wasn't um, in, he wasn't in the hospital. He wasn't in the hospital. Yeah. Um, I just felt that the night nurses, um, I was expected to do a little bit too much on the painkillers that I was on. Yeah. Um, you know, lifting her up and out of the bassinet, swaddling her when yeah. I've just had major surgery. Yeah. I feel like I needed a bit more help than I got. But the the day mid my midwives were incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did feel that I probably needed a bit more, bit more bit than more. what I got. Yeah, um, it is tough. I think it's, yeah. I think it's really tough. And and I think you know the unfortunate thing is that for some people now, private obstetrics is become inexpensive and unaffordable. Mm. But also, people don't see a value in private obstetrics. I mean, it's not only having a private obstetrician, but it's yeah. The, benefit of being in hospital for five nights, which, yeah. you know, costs nine or $10,000. I think people don't yeah. realise when they're paying their private health insurance, particularly for obstetric cover, a lot of that's just paying the hospital. The yeah. hospital gets the bulk of the money. And when you arrive into the birth suite of a private hospital, mm. um, you don't pay a cent yeah. because all of that's covered by your health insurer. Mm. Um, and that that also means the luxury of being able to have four nights as well, just to settle yeah. in. But you know, it, it, it's it is it's difficult, and I think the thing about that means that the public sector is starting to feel a little bit of a strain on it. But they do yeah. very well, and the public sector does exceptionally oh, well. Yeah, they. You know what? Like the women's were 
incredible. It's a good hospital. It was, um, at the end of the day, we got our baby girl and she was healthy, I was healthy. Um, There's someone asked me on Instagram the other day, would you change anything? And absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Did I you have Evie's anything. name sorted well before she was so born? So we had we had three names. Yeah. Josephine. Um, no, not Josephine. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had Evie, Lily, and Olivia. And we were yeah. just gonna decide when we met her, when you met her what she was. And um yeah, what everyone sort of left and we had some time, the three of us, the day she was born and Henry and I sort of said and in my heart, when I looked at her, I thought she was a little Evie and yeah. Henry agreed and, yeah. yeah, she's our little Evie. So how was your recovery? Fortunately, had Henry at home with you to yeah. help you. How was your recovery? Like how long did it take just to feel like you could look after Evie on your own to a certain degree? Yeah, so it was pretty incredible the way I recovered. Yeah. Um, I after I came home from hospital, I was only taking paracetamol, yeah, um, which I thought was amazing. Yeah, just had major surgery, and I only need two panadol every six hours. I thought that was yeah. incredible. Yeah, um, obviously, like the lifting and and things like that, and um, showering was was difficult. Yeah, but I think maybe two or three weeks, and I felt like I could really sort of get about. By myself. And I think most women will say that. Yeah. It normally takes them about two weeks. The new guidelines also suggest you can drive from two weeks. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So, so um, assuming, of course, that you can do things like you said, you can, yeah. you can walk, you're not feeling like you're constrained. The main, I mean, the r- main reasons the insurers won't, yeah. won't be happy is if, if you can't slam your foot on the brake, yeah. then you shouldn't be, be, driving. be driving. Yeah. But the uh, recommendations are that if you're feeling well by two mm. weeks, and look, you, you, you're 100% correct. Most women will leave the hospital and be on Panadol and a bit of Nurofen at yeah. the most. Yeah, so which you, I was blown away by. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you, yeah. you have this, again, it's this expectation of what a Caesar's like. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, you're being sliced open. Yeah. And, you know, you won't be able to, but in actual fact, recovery is actually quite good. Yeah. You know what's really interesting, and I, I must get the book because I, I, I think I may have referenced this in one of the podcasts, but one of my registrars who, when she she left uh, the rotation with me, gave me this book about women in the 1960s where in New York, these women in the 1960s were demanding that their obstetricians allow them the opportunity to elect to have a cesarean section. Mm. So. In the 1960s, 1970s, there was this push by women yeah. to give them the right to choose, Yeah. right? And we were almost gone the other way now. And, and this is what I really dislike about healthcare. It becomes so polarising. Yeah. And the, 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 the polarising, all the polarising does, whether you're pro-vaginal birth, Caesar, mm. is it just... The, what people don't understand is it causes so much anxiety in, yeah. in the women that we're actually caring for in the first yeah. place and that what we should be doing as good clinicians is giving knowledge yeah. and allowing informed choices yeah. and not saying you, you your body can do it, listen to your body well, yeah. because that's implied. Yeah, You're a woman, yeah. you were put on this earth to have a baby, a baby in, yeah. in most cases. Some women don't want to have babies, yeah. right? That is what is implied, but that's not for everyone. Yeah. 
There's a classic case of a woman who I saw when I was a registrar at the women's who had come from Kenya and she'd had her first baby in Kenya and the baby was about 2.7 kilos, vaginal birth easy, had yeah. it in Kenya. And then she came to Australia six months into her pregnancy. The baby was about 2.9 to 3 kilos and she needed an instrumental and assisted birth with a yeah. vacuum cup. Third baby, she's now been in Australia for two and a half, three years, and her baby was 3.3 kilos. She was a small woman, right? Small yeah, Kenyan woman, yeah. right? Caesarean section. And now she's a little bit heavier. She's been yeah. in Australia for five years in her fourth pregnancy. And, and mind you, that third pregnancy, the baby got to full, she was fully dilated and the baby just wasn't coming down the birth yeah. canal. By this stage, she's in her fourth pregnancy. This baby's around 3.4 kilos. Her weight had increased as well and she was asking for a cesarean uh, vaginal birth mm-hmm. and again it's about putting all the bits of the puzzle together like yeah. I said before when she was in Kenya diet was different yeah she was a younger woman her weight was different her babies were smaller yeah she is designed to have a 2.7 kilogram baby that's small by Australian standards yeah but yeah that's her baby yeah she now lives in Australia, changing diet. She's put on a bit of weight. There's more more fat in the pelvis. Yeah. The babies are bigger. She's not, it, it's less likely she'll be able to achieve a vaginal birth. Now, it's not that I said to her, you must have a Caesar. Yeah. I presented her with the, the option. Case. If you want to have an attempt, yeah, but this is like this is what I've this is this is the scenario. Mm. And I think you you don't. I really think that all we do, unfortunately, by being pro one, pro another, yeah. is just disenfranchise the people that we actually care so much, yeah. so much about. Yeah. So yeah, so that's my little bit of two cents worth. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and that's the other thing as well. I think with the public system was that we were getting different opinions all the time. Yeah. We were seeing different doctors yeah. every week towards the end. Well, um. And, yeah, we're getting, you know, and you, you said before different agendas and things. We would have some doctors who were quite clearly pro-vaginal birth, yeah. which is, you know, fine. And, and then there was some that were saying, no, re- you really should have the caesarean with yeah. everything that's going on. So those different, different yes. opinions, there was a lot of noise of that, you know, we just had to shut out. Uh, it's a bit like saying, you know, you go to you get someone, an interior designer to come yeah. to your house, you know oh, the couch should go there and it should be blue. I mm. know oh, the couch is over there and it should be grey. Yeah. People are going to have a different opinion. Mm. And and as much as medicine is a science, I think obstetrics is an art as well. Yeah. There's a lot of art to it because we use our clinical judgement and the thousands upon thousands of births that we've been involved as clinicians, midwives included, to sort of guide us to yeah. what the what what the scenario may likely be. We may be wrong, of course, yeah. but to help guide us to, to a decision process and you do, you do use that bank of information to help, yeah. help patients provide have an informed choice. Mm. So yeah, so I'm glad. I, I think one of the things that I'm glad about is that you had this sense that you know whatever's best for my baby is best, yeah. and that doesn't preclude you necessarily for having a vaginal birth next mm. time if you no. want a vaginal yeah. birth. Yeah, yeah, because this was a unique set of circumstances that was purely a result of even next bubba yeah. could be smaller. Yeah, have no problems with. Uh, lots of fluid. Yeah. Heart rate's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bob's your uncle. So, yeah, it was just that set of circumstances. Yeah, exactly. And, but you know what? If they, if I have another one and the, and the cesarean is, is encouraged again, I would not be, 
upset or disappointed either because yeah. I think it was such a positive experience the first time round. So Henry's from the UK, the, yes. the former European, uh, former European. <laughs> God, uh, yeah. Let's not talk about Brexit. <laughs> oh my God! Seriously, <laughs> the world's a crazy place. But anyway, you went back to the to the former home country. Yes. And uh, how did the grandparents receive little Evie? Oh, they loved her. Yeah. The whole family. She's the happiest, most calm little baby. She's just incredible. Yeah. Um, and they they were all really just blown away by how yeah calm she is, and you know she's getting passed around all these unfamiliar faces and dealing with jet lag and things like that, and she was still smiling and laughing and yeah. How she, was the how was the plane trip? With a, how old was Avi when she went over four months? So she was four months. How, um, how was the plane trip? Fine. She was good. Yeah. Oh. She cried. I think she cried once. Oh, you were I think lucky. the biggest meltdown of the whole trip was on the car ride home in Melbourne when oh, we were coming wow. home from the airport. Did you get a she, bassinet? Yes. Oh, like, so I, if any parents are travelling, I would <laughs> definitely recommend getting the bassinet because yeah, even if she wasn't sleeping in it, it was even really good just to have everything in there as well. Correct, yeah. Um, but, yeah, we didn't have a lot of trouble. I know we're very lucky. I think babies who are, who are young as well, it's yeah. easier. I think yeah. the difficulty is when they they want to get up. And they need and to be entertained. Correct. Yeah. And they need to play and but a young baby, as yeah, I reckon we did the same thing. I think mm. we went to Fiji. I was a resort doctor on an island in Fiji, <laughs> best job I ever <laughs> <Yeah>. had. <laughs> and, uh, and we went to Fiji with our then, you know, 12-week-old, yeah. and it was perfect. You know, yeah. You slept on the plane because all they do is really sleep, entertain a little bit and sleep again. Yeah. So you're quite fortunate. Yeah. Was there any um, any memorable moments of being in the UK that, that, uh, that come to mind? Um, memorable moments. I think we had our first, she had her first laugh oh, over there. Yeah. So that was really special. Yeah. Um, and she, we also started solids when oh. she was over there as well. So, there's a few firsts. yeah, there's a few firsts. What part of the UK is Henry from? Um, so north of Manchester, okay. a place called, um, his, his parents live in a, a place called Bakewell. Right. Um, so, big, so big Derbyshire. Big, big they don't have thick accents actually because oh, really? they're, okay. they've, been sort of all over the place. Yeah. Um, he was actually born in Australia. Oh, His really? dad's a doctor. Oh, okay. Um, and, and what type of doctor is he? Uh, anaesthetist. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they worked out over here? They worked here? Yeah, and then they went back when Henry was about, I think he was eight or nine. Right. Um, yeah, so um, was he eight or nine? Maybe so does younger. Henry follow AFL or not? No, he's a no. big rugby boy. Ah, okay. He loves his rugby. Love rugby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, they were just so happy to meet her, and That's um, yeah, it was really nice to be able to. Well, she was actually conceived in the UK, so oh, <laughs> it was wow. nice to sort of take her back take to take her back to her roots. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for sharing all that. I mean, I think I think it's a, a nice insight into just an acceptance of an acceptance of the pregnancy journey and knowing mm. that there's a multitude of routes that that potentially will pregnancy can take you. Yeah. Fork in the road and and navigating that pathway and knowing that you got to trust the people around you mm. to give you the right advice. Yeah, definitely. 
Now, I understand you have a business called She Does This. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about that and where people can find some more information about that? So basically, it's a a lifestyle website for women um, and we have a huge emphasis on women in business. So lots of sort of female-founded businesses. We also do celebrity interviews and and things like that. Um, But we also offer social media and creative agency services as well. So shedoesthis.com is where people can check it out. Magnificent. Yeah. Have you got uh, give us some some insight into some businesses you've worked with? Not necessarily giving the name of the businesses, but you know what type of stuff they do. Um, yeah. So the social media management, um, I've I've worked with um, businesses like Maybelline and L'Oreal. Yeah. Um, but then I also do a lot of content creation yeah. um, as well. So, um, yeah, working with a whole lot of m- mostly sort of brands that are aimed at women. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to sort of have, um, see both sides of, of the spectrum, I guess, from a brand perspective, but then also working at, on the sort of content creation influencer side is, yeah. is really interesting as well. So yeah, I've worked with, you know, Maybelline, L'Oreal, um, uh, yeah, lots of different Companies, companies and all, brands, all and specifically related to women's stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's the focus of, of she does this. So, um, yeah, brands that are sort of female oriented. Oriented. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. And uh, when are you thinking about number two? That's the, the classic <laughs> question that most people ask. Well, I'm an only child, oh, so yeah. I we've actually spoken about, about just having like he's one of three boys. Yeah. Um. We've spoken about just just having the one. Yeah. Um, but you won't we, regret we'll the second see. or the third. Yeah, I know. Not three, maybe a second. <laughs> <laughs> I say that now. I'll probably be pregnant next year. Um, it's, you know what? It is. It's very difficult. We, I mean, we live. Unfortunately, we live in a, an environment where we can have children. Yeah. And, you know, provide for them as well. Um, I mean, most of us, if not. The vast majority will have more than one yeah. child. What's why? What was your feeling as a child growing up? Obviously, but you had a good relationship with mum. You've already said that. Yeah, to me, um, I'm extremely close with mum and dad. What, yeah. What's the What's the feeling in your mind about having just the one? I guess I I don't feel like I missed out yeah. on anything. Um, I'm extremely close with my my parents. Yeah. Um, and I've got cousins that I'm really close with as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just I I don't have we don't I don't have a yearning for a big family. Yeah. And I don't think Henry does either. But in saying that we might get 18 months down the track and change your mind. Change our minds, but um, We had look, we had uh, a you know, I've got a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old and my wife and I went back again. Oh wow. Yeah, because we had a boy, a girl, sorry, and then a boy. And then just something clicked. And in so my how life. old's your youngest? One. Oh wow. Oh my god! <laughs> That's crazy, but you know what's It's such a you talk about having siblings. It's such a weird thing seeing mm. my fourteen-year-old daughter hold my one-year-old daughter, yeah. and remembering that I once held my fourteen-year-old daughter yeah. in my arms. It's just crazy. crazy. It's totally crazy. It's Were you your mind. wife's obstetrician? No, <laughs> <laughs> can't do that. I stayed. I stayed at the Paris end. Okay, <laughs> no, it did look down there. But that would be hard to like. Oh, Do look, you struggle sitting in the se- in the um, in the appointments I, and stuff? It's interesting, you know. I 
because it became more an emotive thing for me. I, I yeah. do sometimes I cry at births. I, I oh. cry particularly when the dads cry. Yeah, the dads cry because it then reminds me of how I felt when we had our kids. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, otherwise, it's very much you know, this is my job and I do yeah. it and I'm empathetic and, I, you know, I emotionally support a woman but I'm not emotionally involved. Yeah. The difference is when it's your own, you're emotionally involved. Mm. So I had to sort of divorce myself from thinking, all right, this is a pregnancy and this is a birth Yeah. to, uh, you know, really thinking about, well, this is going to be the birth of my child. Yeah. I was very fortunate that all three pregnancies went super smoothly. Yeah. And particularly with our last daughter, forty-five minute labour. <laughs> so oh my god! My my hands, in terms of needing to massage my wife's back, it yeah. did not tire. <laughs> so forty-five minutes. Very, wow! Very quick. So, so I think I was very fortunate. And uh, but I think yeah, if there would have been if we'd have gone through like you did in terms of. You know, there's this, then you, you tend because a little, a little bit of knowledge is power. I've obviously got a lot of knowledge, but yeah. then that may not necessarily translate to the reality of the situation. And you then, it's you, you're not making a clinical decision; you're making an, an emotive decision. And yeah. so, and even in, even now, when I have you know the kids are sick or whatever, I'll say to my wife, "Don't ask me because I'm going to make an either I'm going to make an emotive decision or I'm going to make a clinical decision that's yeah. wrong." Yeah. So I'm not their doctor. Mm. we need to go and see a doctor. Yeah. And I think that way you don't find yourself in a situation where you go, oh, well, I was wrong or become too emotionally invested. Yeah. In you got to, I think you do need to, as a doctor, take a, pa- a passenger ride in that yeah. regard. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it? it's hard. Yeah. It is hard. Well, thank you so much uh, for listening to this episode, everyone, with Geordie, and I hope you found it very valuable and enjoyable. Um, you can listen to new episodes from the Bump, Birth and Beyond podcast Oh, sorry, I better say that again. The bump, it's a tongue Yeah, it's stuff. a mouthful. The bump, birth and beyond podcast once a fortnight on a Thursday. Make sure you keep up to date with me and be the first to hear about all the new episodes we have by following me at uh, my t- Twitter, Facebook and Instagram handle at, at Dr. Joseph Scroy. And, of course, most importantly, also check out Tiny Hearts Education both on their Instagram and Facebook and if you feel so inclined, also download their app, which is a valuable resource not only in terms of pregnancy and childbirth but, of course, child uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, education with respect to you know, emergencies that can happen at home and how to look after them as well. Uh, thank you once again for your time. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.